Here it is. Again. One, two, three, four! I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Debbie Harry! That's right. You sing with that rock group. Hey! plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to the March 1980 edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave, 1976 to 1986. Well, the year is moving right along, Joseph, and as always, we talk about all the great albums that are going to be coming up uh, on Deep Dives and Deep Cuts. Well, we'll see how great these albums are, um, <laughs> but I can tell you what, after you know several breaks and not being here, um, it's really nice to be back in the swing of things, so... Uh, Man, I'm 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 very happy about you know just sitting down to talk with you about music. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, a bit of a roller coaster march of <laughs> yeah, 1980 for sure. That is for sure. Not to ply, imply that it's ups and downs, ups and downs. It's more like just a a death plunge down. <laughs> A spiral, if you will. <laughs> well, why don't we kick things off with uh, a song by The Cramps, huh? Let's yep. go ahead and listen to TV set. Rob, let's talk about how excited I am for April of 1980, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> let's please, let's do. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh man, I wish. No, March, <laughs> March 1980. Wow, we have got a bunch of scruffy punk, a ton of scruffy punk, and a lot of other sort of mediocre odds and ends. Yeah. It had to happen sometime that's just like a, a perfect vortex of bad timing has created March of 1980. <laughs> so before we get this horse show started, got to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show, but even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated, because ultimately, we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was created during a pretty unique period of time. Speaking of which, Professor Rob, what was going on in March of 1980? Well, a whole lot. You know, there's music that I love. There are movies that I love. Um, not a whole, not a whole lot of punk or new wave albums that I love. But <laughs> I'll get into that in a bit. So the number one U.S. hits 
were Crazy Little Thing Called Love by Queen, another Brick in the Wall Part 2 by Pink Floyd. A couple of great classics there. Notable movies would be Coal Miner's Daughter um, with Sissy Spacek and uh, Forbidden Zone, which I still, I still love to this day. <laughs> I, I still... It is a bizarre... Uh, I I don't know. It's it's a nutty movie, but it is. I love it. It's fantastic. Featuring uh, the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo, right? And di- directed by Danny Elfman's brother. Danny Elfman plays the devil in that. Uh, if I remember correctly, mm, it, I I think that you're right. It has yeah. been a long time um, yeah. since I've seen it for sure. Um, also, uh, also notable movie would be Little Darlings. Uh, television debuting at the time, That's Incredible, which I, as a kid, watched faithfully. Uh, the, the TV show Beyond Westworld. Uh, Flow, which uh, I think was a spinoff of the TV show Alice. That sounds and right. And Night, yeah, Nightline with Ted Koppel, which at the time I was too young to stay up that late to watch. Um, <laughs> so notable events that took place. And we, I think we talked about this a little bit, but Patty Smith uh, married the MC5 guitarist Fred Smith in Detroit, Michigan. Also, the first festival of rock music kicked off in the Soviet Union. TV's Dallas had a cliffhanger episode where everybody wanted to know who shot JR. And Mount St. Helens became active after 123 years. So. Mm-hmm. That's it in a nutshell. Um, what else do we have, Joseph? We're going to um, start a new segment for these rundowns uh, and c- just briefly talk about some other albums that were, that were released in um, March of 1980 that are not punk or new wave. Mm-hmm. So the most notable one um, by an artist that we have talked about many times mm-hmm. in jest and, and um, <laughs> well, yeah, mostly just jest, is Billy Joel. He, he releases his new wave classic, Class Houses. You know you love him. You know you love him. <laughs> Other notable bands releasing albums in March of 1980 Air Supply, The Scorpions, Journey, Van Halen, Shaka Khan, Shaka 10 Khan. CCs. What's that? <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time I hear the word, every time I hear the name Shaka Khan, I have to repeat it. It's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you said Shaka Khan and I just had to say Shaka Khan. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rush, Black Sabbath, Genesis, Judas Priest. Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and Def Leppard all released albums in March of 1980. Sweet. So we're we're trying to have this conversation be not not quite as much in a vacuum as as we have in the past. So 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 everybody gets a a sense of what what the norms were listening to back then. I think it's good to have a little context. You know, it's it's yeah. great to know what's going on around us. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. Anything else you want to touch base with before we uh, jump in? No, man. I bought my e-ticket. I want to get on this ride. 
Okay, well let's uh, let's get this over with then, I guess. <laughs> let's let the mediocrity begin. Yeah. The cramps actually were um, you know, we've saved the best for first mm -hmm. in my right. my opinion. Right. The cramps released their debut album called Songs the Lord Taught Us. We kicked this episode off with a track off of that album called TV Set. The Cramps, over the years, have had a, a, a bunch of different members, but sort of the core um, constant, uh, the founders of the Cramps are a husband and wife team called Lux Interior and Poison Ivy. They are the godfather slash godmothers of Psychobilly. This mm -hmm. is the first time we've used the the term psychobilly it's time has come with the cramps so the cramps were actually formed in like 1972 1973 not too long after the two of them met over the years they they would release a single here or a single there but this 19 march of 1980 is the first actual lp that was released I always thought of them as a Southern California like LA band, but they actually met and formed in Sacramento and then moved to the East Coast and were part of the early CBGB scene. Oh, wow. And then um, before 1980, they moved down to LA and kind of stayed, became a, an LA fixture um, moving forward. So, I you're you've been familiar with the Cramps for a long time, oh, yeah. right, Rob? Yeah, for a, for a long time. Yeah. One of my most cherished possessions in high school was my Bad Music for Bad People T-shirt. Nice. I loved <laughs> that yeah. that T-shirt. That was that was kind of my pride and joy. I I lost it many many years ago, but. Um, I was a big Cramps fan, not, never really crazy about Psychobilly, but the Cramps just sort of, they, they are their own thing. They kind of transcend genres and subgenres. I mean, I would certainly call them the godparents of Psychobilly, but I wouldn't pigeonhole them into Psychobilly as a genre band, you know, um, mm. they're, they're pretty fantastic. It's true. I think that this is this is the first time I've actually heard this album. Um, I loved the Bad Music for Bad People album, which was a compilation uh, and included several songs off of this album. And the Cramps are, I think the Cramps are like Blondie, where they are a great band to like get best of compilations. Yeah. <laughs> I would highly recommend that if somebody is curious about the cramps and want to when they dip their toes in the water, start with bad music for bad people. That album had a pretty pretty big impact on me in my my teenage years. It was that that was an important album for me. So we started off 
um, with TV set, which is actually a song that was, I'm pretty sure it was, it was featured on bad music for bad people. That is a song that is both, um, horrifying and hilarious at the exact same time. Yep. <laughs> My only other thoughts about this album is that they, I, I prefer their original songs way more than their covers so tv set gets a big thumbs up but a song like rock on the moon doesn't have that magical cramps wildness that their original stuff does certainly not their strong point and it feels almost like maybe they don't have a love for it as much as their own stuff so they they don't put the Mm. energy into it yeah 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 uh another favorite of mine off of this album is garbage man which is yeah. another one that I, i've been familiar with for forever so where are you at with this album i mean the cramps seem like a natural fit for you. i had a big psychobilly streak for a long time especially when i was doing music world radio and i used to play the hell out of the cramps mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know their their sound it to me it stands stands up over time and even though it kind of hails back to a time from before, you know, it's got this kind of rockabilly kind of this undertone of like the 1950s rock and roll, you know, vibe. Um, yeah. But, but overall it's, it, to me, it still sounds good today. And you would think like on paper, they given all of my ranting and raving about, about punk reaching back to the fifties for, for inspiration and and all of that, that does not apply for the cramps along with some other notable bands at the time, you know, basically created a whole new genre. So they weren't, they weren't just going back to fifties rockabilly and fucking the corpse, so to speak. They were creating their whole new thing. So they were, they were very, very punk about it. And, and, just took it in a whole nother direction. I think they're hilarious. They are so over the top and a lot of fun. Having said that, very rarely do I sit down and listen to an entire album of The Cramps. I'm I'm much more of a take some outrageous songs and throw them on a playlist. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there, there were a couple of picks um, that you made for tonight that are so on brand for you that it's it's kind of ridiculous call me captain obvious (laughs) this is the first one so Uh go ahead and tell us what song you picked uh we're gonna listen to a piece of i was a teenage werewolf kind of want to go back in time a little bit to the 50s or so um with michael landon's uh i was a teenage werewolf and this 
by no means is a song that would have been used in that movie just because it's a whole it's a sound that's like way way beyond you know uh, way ahead of its time if it were back in the 50s but it does kind of hark back to uh you know that that kind of rockabilly vibe but doing their own thing so i don't know i i really enjoyed this uh this song the album as a whole i feel like you that it really is best if you cut it up and maybe put a song or two on a on a playlist separately so mm. yeah for me the, the, for the cramps a little bit goes a long way i love them to death they are wild but boy can they extend or overextend their welcome pretty fast <laughs> yeah 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 songs the lord <laughs> taught us the debut by the cramps um I love the cramps. I I don't ever see them actually making my end of the year top 10 list. Uh, I will not be surprised if they appear on a number of people's top 10 lists. I, it seems unlikely it'll make the final top 10. They are, they are a singular band um, that you sh I think everybody should at least be familiar with. Yeah, it, it, they're not going to, at least this album is not going to make my top 10. I can, I can guarantee you. Yeah. Well, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next album. So the next album we're going to talk about is Slaughter and the Dogs Bite Back. Uh, they, of course, are, they, of course, are an English punk band out of Manchester. We've talked about them before. Uh, they've been around since 1975, and they're still performing even though they have a different lineup than they did. They're still a band. They're still out there. Uh, they were part of the gig that really kicked off the punk scene in Manchester, the, uh, the concert at Manchester, uh, Lesser Free Trade Hall, July 20th, 1976. They, uh, they opened for the Sex Pistols there. So this is their second album, and it seems to have been re-released, I guess, in... 2018 as a three uh, a three CD set. Now I actually like this album a lot, but it's real heavy on the rock spectrum and light on the punk or new wave spectrum in my mind. Uh, many of the songs sound kind of similar to the one before it, so this is one of those albums where, to me, it feels like everything kind of all these songs kind of blend together. You know, um, so many of the songs sound so similar. It's not what I want on my list of, of New Wave or, or, or punk albums, but uh, I find it fascinating that Slaughter and the Dogs are one of those bands that was that were part of, you know, the the explosion of, of the Manchester scene. So why don't we get into some music? Um, I went ahead and picked a song, and in my mind, I picked probably the most different sounding song on the album <laughs> you know i want i had to pick something that was going to stand out a little bit too so let's go ahead and listen to it's in the mind
this is a very confusing album. Um, mm. uh, I, I'm not talking about the music. I'm talking about what this album is. If you go to Wikipedia, uh, this album is not listed in the discography for Slaughter and the Dogs. Right. And when this album was first released, it was released by the band Slaughter. <laughs> yeah. And then when it was re-released, um, decades later, it was re-released as Slaughter and the Dogs. And I had the hardest time tracking down like what the story was with this album. Mm -hmm. It has... Several of the founding members of Slaughter and the Dogs in it, but doesn't have the original singer. I found a, a Facebook page dedicated to this album. It was actually a couple, uh, a couple of the, uh, the admins on that Facebook page are members of Slaughter and the Dogs. Uh, and they okay. just treat it like a Slaughter and the Dogs album. Mm -hmm. So my sense is that there is a long history of feuding about the nature of this album and and is it really slaughter is it really slaughter and the dogs uh, probably just a lot of in band fighting about yeah, that gotcha. but the weird thing is usually when that happens you can find some very detailed accounts of that uh -huh. i wasn't able to come across much yeah. at all. So I am I'm sort of yeah. reading between the lines and kind of piecing things together. March is a, a a month of mediocrity in a lot of ways, but it's also kind of an important one because I think it's like the in 1980 we established that punk is not dead, but I think that March of 1980 is sort of like the last nail in the, the coffin for the first wave of punk. Uh -huh. So there, there are a, several bands releasing albums that they feel like they're kind of clinging on, you know, they are first wave punk bands and they are not evolving very well. I think it just sort of illustrates that the, the first wave of punk is is dead but fortunately in 1980 we've got the dead kennedys we've got x there are a number of the cramps there are a number of bands that pop up and go hey here's punk but new a beautiful butterfly yeah yeah <laughs> and i think that sl that slaughter or slaughter and the dogs they are not evolving gracefully um i there's hardly anything that i like about this album um it is it is not for me um they are it sounds like they're evolving with some with some like more hard rock cliches which and is that, and that does happen i mean at this yeah. band particularly they become more of a rock band i mm -hmm. think over time mm -hmm. so Heck, they changed their name to Slaughter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they let the dogs they let the dogs run free. <laughs> yeah, I didn't love their first album, but I thought that their first album was wild and challenging and provocative and evocative. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is just kind of eh, 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's not bad, but it's I didn't connect with it at all. And that is reflected in in the song that I picked. I picked the song that sounded the least like the rest of the album and sounded the most like the Stooges because I love yeah. the Stooges. I mean, <laughs> okay. this, I, I actually had to go and look it up to reassure myself that this was not actually a cover of a Stooges song because it sounds so much like a Stooges song. So let's go ahead and listen to the cut called Hell in New York. Like I said, I actually like this album, but it it's kind of pushing pushing heavily on the rock, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of not so much the punk or the or the new wave sound. Uh, but again, most of the songs kind of sound similar. Mm-hmm. They all mm-hmm. blend. They all blend together. Uh, yeah. Well, with exception of this Stooges esque tune that you picked (laughs) yeah yeah uh, it's a good it's a good choice your pick is is a much better representation of what the rest of the album is like the rest of the album right i struggled with this album i tried to find a way in to to connecting with it and just and uh never could it made me think about something you say quite often which is that for me this was an album that i listened to while i'm driving it's like or doing something you know, um, I can play it and I can enjoy it while I'm doing something else, not really focusing on the songs or the music. You're much more of like a, a hard rock guy than I yeah. am. True enough. So I, I think that that is, that is something that works for you for, for background music. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. I, I can't get there. Yeah, yeah. So that was Slaughter and the Dogs with Bite Back, and their second album. And... I, I may actually dip into the 2018 release and listen to that three CD set. I don't think I'll listen to it all together because <laughs> I don't know that I could take three three CDs worth of this, this <laughs> all at once. But I'm curious, you know, to hear what's what's been added. Uh, I can tell you right now, there's no chance in in Hades that it's going to hit my uh, uh, my top ten at the end of the year. So. Um, and it sounds like maybe not yours either. No. Um, <laughs> if if you, dear listeners, are out there and and one of you submits your top ten list that includes this album on it, please do um, edify um, and help us get um, a new perspective on this album yeah. because um, it is... I wonder if there's there's fans out there that love this album. I, and if so, I I want to see this album through your eyes. Yeah. Um, because boy, I don't get it. And lightness. 
<laughs> Please do. Please enlighten us. All right, let's move on to the third album from um, an Australian band called The Sports. We have talked about The Sports in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, this album released in March of 1980 is entitled Suddenly had a uh, moderately big hit in Australia. I think it was... I, I don't think it really caught on anyplace else, but um, the uh, it was one of their bigger hits called Strangers on a Train. And I actually like this album more than their previous albums because it's a little less pub rock and there's a little bit more variety and we'll actually very clearly hear that variety in the two songs that we picked. I think my pick off of this album is again, a little bit more of an outlier of the rest of the album than, than the song that, that you picked, mm. but I picked it um, because this whole playlist is is just so much scruffy punk and hard rock that I was just desperate for some variety and something a little bit kinder and gentler. <laughs> so I probably picked the the kindest and most gentle song off of this album. Uh, it's pretty good. It's not the kind of song that I typically like, but I, I think they do a pretty good job with it. It's a song called Go. general the as you can hear here um this album is a little less pub rock a little less angry young man uh, um which is a good thing for me um i can't see myself ever really going for a sports album but um this one is this one's a. I find this one a, a little, I, a little bit more palatable than than their earlier stuff. Um, how about you, Rob? Where where are you at with the sports third album? Suddenly, I I'm not crazy about it. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Now, listening to the song you just picked, um, to me that tune kind of fits in what I like to call sleepy rock. Um, <laughs> it's, but it's mellow. See, you call yeah. this sleepy rock, and it's because it's mellower. Um, so that's 
that's fine. When you call yeah. like early Elvis Costello sleepy rock, I'm baffled by it. But I, well, Elvis Costello to me is more mellow than most of what I like, mm. um, and so he'll put me to sleep at any time. But <laughs> but this is kind of along those lines where it is so mellow that yeah, I yeah. could I could take a nap. Um, and not hear it until, you know, you know, I don't know. I would skip over it. I think if, Ah. if I were cruising and it were playing on my, in my car stereo, I, I, I'd find something else to listen to. Uh, I think it's a nice, nice little song. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not a bad song at all. It's it's just not my cup of tea. Um, Yeah. For, for me, for this album, the best that you're going to get from me is a, a nice little song. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. Yeah. Um, now I chose a different song with a different sound. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Um, and I picked the song Murmurs. Yeah, I actually I like this song better than than Go. I mm-hmm. this song has been over the last couple of days. This song has has been growing on me. You know what this song reminds me of? What's that? It reminds me of an album that I haven't heard in over 30 years that we are going to visit this season, which is mm-hmm. the debut album from another Australian band, a little band called In Excess. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> the first time I heard this, I was like, oh, this is a song that sounds like it could be off of one of the the." first two in excess albums which i had when i was in high school and was completely baffled by them because it was a completely different sound than i was used to for for in excess i think over the next couple of years we're going to start hearing the evolution of the australian new wave sound that us americans are very familiar with the um you know, the Simple Minds in excess type sound, which is I'm hearing kind of here. I, I like this song. I, I think this yeah. is uh, certainly not sleepy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, you know, the energy of it was really cool. Um, I like the way the song moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, no, I, I, I got into it. And, yeah. you know, I say I'm not crazy about the album. I'm not crazy about the album as a whole. But it's yeah. got some it's got some decent songs on it. And this was definitely one that I, you know, I could probably put on a playlist, you know. It's been a long time since I've gone back and listened to their previous album. But if memory serves me correctly, um, I think the songwriting on this album is better uh-huh. than um, than on the last one. It s- sounds a little bit more confident maybe a little bit slicker but also there's as we can hear from these two songs there's there's more variety while still sounding like it 
it is coming from the same band. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I think that the thing that really trips me up about this album is the vocalist. I'm not a big fan of the vocalist. His his style is is not doesn't feel very charismatic to me. This is actually going to be a reoccurring theme uh, throughout the night with several of these bands that we t- we talk about where everything else is working on like a higher level than the vocalist. I think I would probably like this album significantly better if if there was a you know of someone with a little bit more uh, distinct personality uh, singing these songs. Okay. So that is the sports third album called Suddenly, um, not in consideration for my list, not even remotely close. Um, The sports have not shown up on anybody's lists in the past. Um, this one feels like a step up, so it's possible that we get we get a list or two from from some uh, someone in Australia that um, has a love for this album. Looking forward to hearing from them if if they they do. Obviously, uh, we've got a lot of listeners in Australia, so there's if there's somebody out there that's really big on Suddenly by by sports, let us know. Next up, let's cover uh, a band called MX80 Sound and their their second album. MX80 Sound was formed in 1974 in Indiana. They consisted of Bruce Anderson and Dale Sophia, if I pronounce that correctly. But in 1975, they were joined by Jeff Ormore and Kevin Tier. Out of the Tunnel is their second album. Uh, it was produced by Mark Bingham who was in a band with Bruce Dale uh, with Bruce and Dale called uh, Screaming Gypsy Bandits. Uh, and from that, MX-80 Sound was born. Out of the Tunnel was released on Ralph Records after the band moved to San Francisco. So when I first listened to this album, I got this great, chaotic, discordant, jumbled up noise. Um, <laughs> but the second time I listened to this record, I was really appreciating how those noisy sounds kind of work together. And and I actually became kind of entranced by it. I, I started really liking this record. There are these vocals that come in at strange spots in the song. There are drums that kind of keep rhythm, but nobody else in the album or nobody else in the band really follows the rhythm. Um, <laughs> there's some killer guitar and even even some screechy sax that kind of breaks in from time to time. So it's it's a curious album. It 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 has been called uh, punk. It's been called new wave. It's been called avant avant jazz or noise rock. I think it's I think it's pretty cool and and it's a good fast-paced album. It's not going to be something I'm going to I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my life, but but I kind of got into it. The song I picked for this album is to me a great example of the noise working in concert with like the some interesting poetry and 
The song I picked is Man in a Box. There was a city called Him along his room. The neighbor downstairs can't get any sleep because he thinks and he writes and he pays and he types. All he wants to do is speak the words. You know the words they come from his heart and he thinks and he writes and he pays and he types. Here it comes, here comes a letter. So as I mentioned, for me, I like the idea of that discordant noise still kind of working in concert with, with poetry. And to me, that's, that's what the lyrics came out to be, is poetry. It, it, the poetry is, it, to me, it feels like the poetry is actually behind the instrumentation and, and is almost secondary to the song, whereas the, the, the music is really what the song is all about. Um, so at any rate, I, I just found that sort of thing pretty interesting. Um, what do you think about this, this album, Joseph? I kind of like it. I mean, it is chaotic. It is abrasive. Uh, it is very abrasive. When we, when we were talking about Slaughter and the Dogs, I was talking about how the first wave of punk is is feeling a little dried up and played out this is a band who they're trying new stuff it feels relatively fresh i think it's very very hit or miss i'm actually kind of opposite of you in the sense that i think the the star of this album is the lyrics. I think there's uh-huh. some fantastic storytelling in here. Oh, I don't disagree with you there. Yeah. Very evocative. The music is uh pretty chaotic. Uh they they get some good little grooves going, but the uh, the energy is very high, but yeah. it's pretty loose. So they are this is not this is not a bad band, but this is not a tight band. This is not like <laughs> punishment of luxury kind of hard and and tight this is a a pretty loose off the cuff raggedy sort of music which i i think suits it just fine often the vocals don't work for me um i think Uh the the music is is usually pretty good the lyrics the lyrics are my favorite part of this album. That's what kind of sucked me in was, was the stories that they were telling in a saying stories. It's not a like Jack and Diane linear sort of story, but the, but they're always about something. And yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It, it it really does feel like they have something to, to say. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that that the lyrics or the the songwriting is by any means not important or not used well. What I like about this is that you've got the music that is kind of trying to force its way into your ear, um, and it's still kind of working with, you know, it, it's almost on a different level than than the vocals. Um, 
but I think that's part of their relationship. Getting vocals to sit on top of this type of music is really hard and takes yeah. a very, very special kind of vocalist. So they can't all be Jello Biafras, right? <laughs> right. He, he is no Jello Biafra. I mean, obviously. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and uh, so I. I mean, nobody is except for Jello Biafra, so you can't really hold that <laughs> against him. But, but right. this is the I, I I wish that the storytelling was better served by the vocals. Yeah, yeah. My pick on this uh, off of this album is a great story. I I love the way the in narratively that that he the direction that he goes into this uh it's all thematically it's almost a sort of like once in a lifetime this is not my beautiful house type mm -hmm. <laughs> of a theme but coming from a, a very imbalanced existential crisis sort of stalker way which <laughs> i you know i it was probably the second or the third time i heard this this song that I really paid very close attention to the lyrics and it is it's fantastic lyrically I, I like this song a lot it is called Follow That Car Did you ever get the I, I really enjoyed this song as well, to be honest. It, it is one of those, uh, you know, I, I find this happens quite a bit where you and I will sometimes pick, you know, you'll pick a song because the song that you wanted to pick, I picked. And you're like, okay, well, that just gives me the opportunity to pick a different song. So we'll listen to more music. Well, I don't know what you're going to pick ahead of time. Um, but this was one that, that I had considered and and I think the reason I like it is because of the storytelling in it. A couple of other thoughts about this album and this band. They were originally known as MX80 Sound, and after a couple of years, dropped the sound. So then they were just went by MX80. So you see it, see them referred to in two two different ways. This is their second album. We missed their first one. MX80 Sound had been around since the early 70s. The MX80 Epson printer was launched in October 1980. So if you were wondering if they named themselves after a printer, um, the answer is no. 
It might be the other way around. <laughs> the printer is named after the band. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And also, interesting that they were on Ralph Records. Uh, I don't think we've ever actually talked about Ralph Records. Ralph no, Records, no, no. kind of a, a local hero type thing. They they are based out of um, the Bay Area. San Francisco, mm -hmm. San Francisco. Is, is, yeah. is what you said. And that just like um, we have talked about the specials and their um, two tones label, well, the residents, members of the residents, started Ralph Records. And growing up, I had uh, several compilations, Ralph Record compilations, and they did a lot. If you're familiar with the residents, they did a lot of of music in that vein nice. it's hard to imagine us getting all the way through this podcast without doing a, a special episode on ralph records because there's a uh, that's there's that's a, cool. a a really interesting story there with a lot of of singular music um some of some of my favorite songs in the late 80s were uh I got off of compilations from, from Ralph Records. So us being Northern California boys, we probably, with a little bit of effort, connect with somebody who, who had a direct connection to Ralph yeah. Records. And, and Well, I, I, think, uh, I think I've mentioned my friend Annette a handful mm -hmm. of times. Mm -hmm. uh, she managed a couple of punk bands in San Francisco during the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would I would not be surprised if a couple of the bands that she was connected to were on those mm. compilations you had. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That was MX80 Sounds' second album, Out of the Tunnel. And I think that it's a, a fun album. For the most part, it, it gets to be a bit much, again, listening to the entire album. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the songs. Fortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to make my top 10, though. I can, I can tell you that much. Well, I think you're being generous when you say a bit much. I mean, this is a, a, a challenging, <laughs> very abrasive album. Abrasive is a good word, yeah. I don't see myself ever sitting down and listening to this full album in one sitting ever again. Uh, but there, there are <laughs> some, some pretty cool songs off of this album yeah for sure i also really liked the songs not my fault and metro i think it's called it's metro girl or, or something something like that the last cut off the album i i can't read my writing here okay let's move on to the debut release from a english band and really the one, the first band that we can say without any hesitancy, this is a full-blown oi band, uh, mm -hmm. Cockney Rejects. The album is called Greatest Hits Volume 1. Thanks to Tony, we, we came very close to not covering this album this year. Tony and his eagle eye looked over the roster and identified this as one that we missed. 
It might yeah. have been because I just looked at it and thought it was actually a compilation and not yeah. a a studio <laughs> album. Right. So we have talked about several bands and albums in the past that qualify as being oi or sort of like proto oi. And I've always uh-huh. expressed a surprise and a certain degree of relief over listening to those albums. This is the sound that I had had in my head as oi that I was kind of bracing myself for. <laughs> it's not a terrible album. I don't hear anything lyrically sounds too skinhead or anything, but this is a a really abrasive, aggressive album in the oi way that I find a little off-putting. It is extremely rambunctious and um, it is just feels like it's there to incite a riot of some sort. Sure, yeah. Damn the man. And I don't love it. I don't <laughs> really like it that much, but it is not off this album, but the next album, I th- which I believe that was released in 1980 as well. I, so I think we'll get to it later called Greatest Hits Volume 2. There's a song called Oi, 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 and that's where Oi got its name. So let's, let's go ahead and listen to my pick, a song called Headbanger. Banger. So I used to uh, I used to have a friend who was really into oi and he I mean he knew he he actually was a, a wealth of knowledge when it came to music history and apparently according to him oi started out as kind of an anti-skinhead type of music um you know and and so so I I didn't expect this to be skinhead centric at all um but it definitely has that that oi sound, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and again, I am not a huge fan of this album, although there's some oi that I really like. I don't know what it was about this album that rubbed me. I wouldn't, I guess not rubbed me the wrong way, but it just didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, know. a, a comment about what you just said about a sort of anti-skinhead and anti-fascist I think that this might be the first album that we've talked about that would qualify as oi or sort of proto-oi where the lyrics aren't explicitly anti-fascist. Right. So I don't I I haven't sat down with the lyric sheet for this album and gone through all of them, but I don't remember hearing anything lyrically that is sounds like it's particularly political or socially minded this these are just a uh, this feels like a bunch of songs about going out and 
you know, raising hell. Right you know, they're, yeah, yeah, they're they're very angry about all about stuff, but but it's not clearly articulated what they're rebelling against. <laughs> I don't think that that makes it inherently bad, but yeah. it is the previous albums we've talked about because the lyrics have been very clearly anti-fascist. It's kind of helped counterbalance the the aggressive sound of it i don't know maybe i'm being a little bit too much of a delicate flower on this but yeah i i just and i don't think that they the songwriting is particularly interesting um i think uh my understanding is that more of their beloved songs are on their next release than this release. Mm -hmm. So we might see a jump up in, in an evolution of songwriting, which I would welcome for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I'm kind of with you. It, it, to me again, we're hitting with, you know, it's a bunch of the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and really by the same thing, I mean, again, just a bunch of aggression. <laughs> and, and I like some good aggressive music. Um, uh, I picked a song called The New Song. And to me, the reason why I chose this one is probably because it's, again, a little bit different than everything else on there. This is the new song! Both songs that we've just heard kind of emphasize that this is the oiest album to date. <laughs> yeah. uh, both, both the positive and negative um, of those, you know, con connotations associated with with oi music. Another album I, I can't see myself ever listening to all the way through again. Um, pretty abrasive stuff. Yeah, it's a bit of rough, a bit of a rough ride for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I th thought about this, so I probably couldn't listen to it as an album again, mm -hmm. but it would have been interesting to be there in concert. Mm. You know, you might have come home with a few bruises. Um, you know, maybe maybe a couple stitches in your forehead. Uh, you know, <laughs> it would have been a hell of a concert. <laughs> Um, not going to be on my list for the top 10, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that is Cockney Rejects' debut album, Greatest Hits, Volume 1. Not in consideration for either Rob or I. Uh, it's hard to imagine that if we um, get submitted lists from OI fans that this is not included on that list because this this is kind of a, a a seminal oi band um and you know the first one 
in my estimation, that is like 100% there as far as the, the oi thing going uh-huh. going on. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go into our next album. So the next album is from the pop group, and it's entitled For How Much Longer Do We Tolerate Mass Murder? And if you're thinking, boy, that sounds political, well, you're thinking right, because <laughs> it is. So the pop group came out of Bristol in 1977, and it consisted of Mark Stewart, John Waddington, Simon Underwood, Gareth Sager, and Bruce Smith. Um, they put out two albums before splitting up in 1982 and then got back together in 2010. Uh, if if I remember correctly, I didn't make a note of it, but I think that John Waddington recently passed away uh, in 2023, as did perhaps Mark Stewart, unfortunately. Um, so they got back together in 2010. Of course, this is their second album, For How Much Longer Do We Tolerate Mass Murder?, and it is clearly a mix of experimental jazz. Uh, there's some funk sounds to it. There's some pretty raw punk. Uh, and it included the, the band's political views. Like I said, Nick Cave and the band Bauhaus have both said that this was definitely an important, uh, an important band for them. And, and that they were that this album in particular was, was kind of life-changing. Mm. Um, now the pop group was very, um, very much, they, they very much influenced other bands to come such as Sonic Youth, Pi- Primal Scream. Some of these albums or some of these, excuse me, some of these bands were actually active at the time, but really kind of fed off of, of the pop group's vibe. Um, also, Steve Albini of uh, Big Black, uh, Trent Reznor uh, of Nine Inch Nails, and Massive Attack were all influenced by, by the pop group. This is a, an album that, again, as I said, was very political. There is a narrative through the entire thing that you know what these guys are, are thinking about. You know what they're talking about. Um, and you know all the shit that was going on in the UK at the time because they are really letting you know. I mean, they're they're telling you what it is. The song that I picked for this album was a tune called Justice. I wake up every day and look at my country. This is what the blind This is probably the song on the album with the best groove. Yes, <laughs> which is why, which is why I picked it. Yes. So, however, I do like that they're putting their feelings out there. Um, you know, their radical political, you know, their angst, their anger, um, and still managing to keep that groove. <laughs> you know, so. Um, but anyway, it, 
that's what I really like about this song though, is that there's a really good connection between, you know, their, their agenda, which of course it's an agenda. And then, and then their, you know, their musical gifts. I mean, they're putting the groove in it. So any rate, that's, that's my, my opinion in a nutshell. Well, this is another really abrasive, really difficult album to get through. It is, I find it admirable. In my notes, I have one word in all in capitals underlined several times the word relentless. This is a relentless album. I mean, it just pounds you and pounds you and pounds you and pounds you. When we talked about their first release, which I think I prefer a little bit better, their first release, I think the highs were a little bit higher, but the lows were lower than this one. This one's a little bit more consistent. But in this case, consistent, I don't feel is a good thing. It's it's so relentless. Uh, song after song, you know, it's just pounding you, pounding you. It is a, lyrically, it is a an album of good citizenship. So it's hard to criticize <laughs> it lyrically. I just, I think back to sort of the gold standard for political and social approach towards lyrics. For me, the gold standard is Gang of Four, where they are very, very social and political oriented, at least on their first album, but they do it with wit and charm and creativity. None of that lyrically, I feel, applies to this. In fact, a <laughs> lot of these songs sound like it could be just a transcript from a heated argument that the lead singer had at a bar one night. <laughs> so <laughs> here, here is one of the lyrics. Quote, Nixon and Kissinger should be tried for war crimes for the secret bombings. So there is, I mean, it is just, it is just a political conversation or argument that, <laughs> that this guy is having with you, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which feels a little artless and man, it just, he just keeps pounding you and pounding you and pounding you. Um, with these ideas. I don't disagree with pretty much any of this sentiments, but it is, it is so, it is so much a literal lecture that if it's, you know, I feel like the strategy is to just pound you down and uh, boy, getting through this album, I feel pounded down. Yeah. 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 But there is some good funk. I mean, there there are a couple yeah, of songs man. that are funkier from this album than anything off of the first album. So I warmly embrace that. This is an album of 100% good intentions, and it's hard to criticize that. But it's rough. <laughs> I, I feel I feel beaten and bloody after after listening to this album, which. I imagine the members of, of this band would actually go, Mission accomplished! <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, let's, <laughs> let's 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 get another beat down from from the pop group with a song called Rob a Bank. in rob a bank that the the energy and the pacing and the you know it's this also is kind of an abrasive song mm-hmm. um you still get that funk in there man uh, yeah you know, and and that's pretty cool i gotta say it's pretty cool and this is the there's not much of it but right. this is the song where i feel like there's at least a little bit of a sense of humor yeah, about the subject so matter, it's it's not so like wag your finger dour, um, which I appreciate. Maybe maybe it's the tambourine because you can't really not you can't help but laugh at a song that has tambourine in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was the pop groups for how much longer do we tolerate mass murder? Of course, it's their second album. It's not going to make my list. Doesn't sound like it's going to make Joseph's. This is an another this it's a re- reoccurring theme um tonight but this is yeah. another album I don't see myself ever sitting down and listening to all the way through again. But we can say we, we can say now that we have done it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> if anybody asks, of course we've listened to the whole album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh one actually one last thought. Um Yeah. I I had some pretty good things to say about their previous album. And one of the things that I really liked about their first album was it felt like they were being very mindful of what they were doing in the songs. And Uh this one, I didn't get that. I mean, we're talking about a a real intangible, but um, this one felt, felt a little bit more kind of slapped together and I didn't, oh boy, we're talking about such abstracts, but I didn't feel like I was in good of hands with this album as I did with the first album. You know, very much so like I would say that uh, looking at um, Per Ubu, I Uh would, I would, compare their first the pop group's first album with Pear Ubu's first album this album would be more like New Picnic Times you know where it feel it feels like they aren't quite as as focused and on top of it and uh, putting everything into every moment that, that that's that's just the feeling I got uh, and so therefore was didn't find it as engaging as their first one. All right. Well, thank you. 
And this is where we have to stop. We have run out of time, but um, we will pick this conversation up next week. So stick around for that. Rob, what albums are we going to discuss in the next episode? The Radiators album, Feel the Heat. Stiff Little Fingers album, Nobody's Heroes. Four Out of Five Doctors, eponymously titled album. Of course, Four Out of Five Doctors. The Mekons with the Mekons, a.k.a. Devils, Rats, and Piggies, a special message from Godzilla. Whatever. An, obvi an obvious title. <laughs> uh, Berlin's debut album, Information, and John Cooper Clark's fourth album, Snap, Crackle, and Bop. A couple more things before we go. Rob, it's been a while since we've gotten um, any reviews on Apple Podcasts, so um, I think it's time for us to um, nudge, nudge our audience and just let you know that um, leaving a, a review, so even if it's a sentence or two, is very helpful. It helps with the, the magical, mysterious algorithms that help us rise to the top in the um, searches for, for this type of podcast and, um, you know, it would be greatly appreciated. Right, Rob? Absolutely. Every time you leave a review, a punk rocker gets their wings. That's all I have to say. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Time for a mantra of gratitude, Rob. Yeah, well, for sure. So lay it on me. You got it. Well, we've talked about a lot of music tonight, and regardless of what our personal taste may be, the very fact that we're discussing it 40-plus years later places its creators in the highest echelons of hardworking musicians. These people have brought joy and comfort to the countless teens and recovering teens for nearly half a century, and for that, we thank them. Amen. This episode, we started a new tradition, which is at the beginning, we, we list off other albums not related irrelevant to this this podcast but just to let everybody else know what the what the norms we're listening to hand in hand with that a new another new tradition is we are going to go out on a cut from one of those albums so rob i have said it in just many many times <laughs> but we gotta listen to a billy joel song <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just joking. Every time you do that to me, my heart stops just a little bit. <laughs> Actually, I'm not, or am I joking? No, I don't think I am joking. I think, gonna, I think we are going to go. Kill me. So, um, glass houses, which you go to Wikipedia and it is listed as one of the genres is new wave. Um, the song we're going to go out on is a song called All For Lena, which was um, released as one of the many singles off of this album. Didn't, uh, excuse me, it was 
not released as a single here in the United States, but was released in Europe as a single. And earlier today, this was the first time I listened. I've listened to this album from beginning to end in decades. There's a part of me that still loves this album. <laughs> of course, there is. That's okay. For this song, when you go to the Wikipedia page, the three genres that are assigned to this particular song are punk rock, post-punk, and new wave, which I think is a little silly, but... um, (laughs) I can see Billy Joel right now, punk rock, with his curly hair, his skinny white tie, and his black button-up shirt. Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Bit of a stretch, but still um, one of of my favorite Billy Joel songs. So uh, I'm going to revert back to my 11-year-old self and um, be happy as as we go out on All for Lena by Billy Joel off of the glass houses. We finally got there, Rob. Uh, Well, congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, everybody, we will talk to you in one week. See ya. She stood on the tracks waving I don't know anyone.